an incredible honor to be able to be here with you today. And let me just say, thank you very much. Let me say before I even begin, God is doing something special here in your midst. And I, don't, I, don't, I, I promise I don't say that everywhere I speak. <laughs> uh, there is a, a oneness and a unity and a love that you sense just being in the room that is rare. Sometimes, and I want to say this, Ryan, to you and Rod, sometimes you can be so close to a miracle that you don't see it for what it is. God is doing something very unique and very special in your fellowship. Don't miss what God is doing. It's special. It's an honor for my wife, Christy, and I to be able to be here with you today. It's always great to be in the house with Bishop Dahati Lewis over here, uh, a man that I have loved and respected and co-labored with now for a number of years um, and, and now walk in his footsteps and the tracks that he laid down as president of Sin Network. I'm following in his leadership footsteps and leading this network now of planting churches. But it is an incredible honor. Thank you for allowing us to be here, especially on such a historic and special day. Uh, God did call my family in 1999 to a city that was not on our radar at all. 1999, we're minding our own business I was the senior associate pastor of a great church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, oh, by the way, before I, before I dive into that too far, let me just also say we're just a little bit jealous here today. Uh, your pastor showed us a little bit of the buildings that God has graciously allowed this fellowship to meet in. You have, uh, I think you said 90,000 square feet of building space. This morning, the church that God allowed me to plant in Las Vegas 22 years ago, there'll be about 4,000 people that'll gather for worship there this weekend. Um, and we have 88,000 square feet of building space. So we are very jealous of what God has, in a, in a godly, spirit-filled way, we are jealous of what the Lord has blessed you with and pray that God maximizes it for his kingdom. But that's really our story. We, we like, like Ryan and his wife, are minding our own business. I was planting, a, we, we were, uh, I was associate pastor of a great church in Memphis, Tennessee. Everybody thought I would be the next senior pastor of that church because I had such a good relationship with the senior pastor. He was my dad. I'd known, known him my whole life. So everybody just assumed that's what was going to happen next. Uh, but one morning, I'm sitting in my living room. I'm spending time with Jesus. I'm reading Luke chapter 4. I read some stuff in the gospel of Luke, saw some stuff in Jesus that wasn't in me, a passion for the kingdom of God to be expanded to other cities and other peoples. So my wife and I knelt down in our living room in Memphis, put our yes on the table, didn't know when, didn't know where. God had the audacity two weeks later to fill in the blank with Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm from Alabama. If you're from Alabama, you don't go to Las Vegas, and if you do, you don't tell anybody. Where I'm from, they don't think Las Vegas is hell, but they think you can smell it from there, like it's close, right? Anybody in the room been to Vegas? I'm, you don't have to raise your hand. We're in church. You're all right. I'm not, I'm not going to put you on the spot. But that's where God called us. And 22 years ago, we moved our lives there. Our kids at the time were 7, 5, and 3, and now they're almost 30, 28, and 26, and 19. And our family grew up in Las Vegas together, serving the Lord, joining in his activity of birthing a church that is much like your fellowship. Our church in Las Vegas is, I think, one of the most multi-ethnic, multi-generational churches in North America. We have 54 languages spoken in our fellowship. 
It's an incredibly diverse place. It looks like what heaven's going to look like. Some of us in our churches are getting a jump start on the rest of Christianity. Amen? We're looking like what heaven's going to look like. Uh, and that's our fellowship. Our church has the same DNA of your church. We're a sending church. So out of our church, we've now had the privilege to partner in planting 80 churches in the Western United States. Uh, we've sent out hundreds of people out of our fellowship to be involved in planting churches uh, in the Western United States. You can go up and down the Western United States and the Mountain and Pacific time zone. Every major city in the West is 90 to 95% non-Christian and 60 to 70% non-religious. That's the landscape, not of Russia or China. That's the United States of America in the Western United States. And so we've given 22 years of our lives to seeing the church multiplied for the expansion of the kingdom in the West. We, we launched a church planter training in our church called M3. We've now had 800 planters that have gone through that three-day intensive that have taken that content all over North America and to countries around the world. And as of last year, with the Hotties transition, I have now the privilege of leading the Send Network, which is the largest church planning network in North America. Now, I'm not telling you all of that so you know my pedigree. I'm telling you all of that because I want you to feel the weight of the next sentence I'm about to make. You heard my journey. My wife and I have given the vast majority of our adult lives to planting churches. Like once you've planted a church, you are forever a church planter. It's like being a Marine. If you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. You don't, there's no such thing as an ex-Marine. They're just Marines who aren't currently serving on the field. Once you've planted a church, you're always a church planter. You cut me, I bleed church planting. I love church planters. I'll give the shirt off my back to another church planter. But here's the statement I want you to hear me make. Churches being planted is not the goal. Church planting is not the finish line. It's not the aim. It's not the end. It's not the goal. It's not the end zone for us. Let me prove it to you. Every church that's planted is going to die. Can I give you a word of discouragement this morning? This is very apropos for your sixth birthday, all right? <laughs> the church that you are right now celebrating and excited about and thanking God for, the church that today you are, you are celebrating the birth of and, 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 and celebrating the anniversary of, the church that Pastor Rod and Ryan that's kept you up at night, that you've lost sleep over, that you've blood, sweat, and tears over, this very church, gospel hope, one day is going to die. You say, how dare you, <laughs> especially on our birthday. It's just the truth. All churches do. They're born, they live, they die. All churches have a life cycle. If you don't believe me, go find any church Paul wrote a letter to in the New Testament. Every church that got a book deal in the New Testament is dead and gone. I've stood personally in the remains of the church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus. In the heyday of the first century, those were, both epicent, those were both epicenters of gospel activity that were being used of God to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And today, let me tell you where they are, a pile of rocks in the Middle East. Dead and gone, but hear me. 
Although churches being planted is not the goal and the church is going to die, hear me, the kingdom of God is alive and well. You see, the end game is not churches being planted. The end game is the kingdom of God being expanded to cities and nations all over the world. And I can prove that to you biblically. If you look at Revelation chapter 5, we, we actually just sang it in a song. The words of this verse were in the last song the team just sang. Revelation 5, 9, if you've ever been to a mission conference, you've heard this verse before. It says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every, say it out loud, every tribe and language and people and nation. That's verse nine. That's where it ends. The problem with verse nine is we never read verse 10. Verse 10 says, and you have made them a what? Say it out loud. Here's what that means. This whole thing we call Christianity is moving towards a grand and glorious climax. One day, somewhere in the world, the last soul is going to be ushered into the Somewhere the gospel is going to be preached, and in some language, some culture, some country, somebody's going to give their life to Jesus, and that's the last soul ushered into the kingdom. And here's what's going to happen next. The king is going to rise up from his throne. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then then we'll always be with the Lord from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. King Jesus ruling and reigning for all eternity over his kingdom. You don't sound as excited about that as I wish you were. But it ain't going to always be like this. The king is coming again. And heaven is not First Baptist and First Methodist and First Pres Heaven is the king with the kingdom from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation for all eternity. Let me give you a definition of the kingdom of God for sake of time. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. You see, what's happening right now is God is on a mission in the world building his kingdom. And get this, the tool that Jesus has established for the expansion of his kingdom in cities and nations all over the world is the local New Testament church. But you know what we've done? We've made the local New Testament church the goal, and we've made the kingdom a department in the church called the missions department that we reserve for the weirdos who go down the dark hallway at the church for the special ops training, right? The rest of us just give a little money so those people can do the secretive work of the church. No, the church doesn't do missions. The church was born for the mission. There's only one. And the mission is the kingdom expanded in cities and nations all over the world. So here's the church. The local New Testament church exists to gather people and introduce them to King Jesus, disciple them in kingdom living, and then to send them out for the expansion of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. So here's the question of the morning, and I want to get to a text. The question is, how do we connect the, the big picture of the kingdom of God to the local New Testament church, let's be specific, to Gospel Hope Church right here in Atlanta. 
If you got your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want to read you a text of Scripture that I think is going to help us answer that question. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes and he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Then here's the verse we all love, verse 19. If you know any verse in this chapter, you know this verse. And my God will supply every need of yours. If you like that verse, say Amen. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me give you three truths out of this passage of Scripture that connect the local New Testament church, Gospel Hope Church, to the big picture of the kingdom. Here's the first one. And I love what I'm going to share with you today because I'm not sharing with you something that's not a part of your DNA already. I'm just going to let you look into the mirror of God's word and understand the reason your pastors have led you this way is not because it's a creative strategy, not because it's a new program. They're following a New Testament biblical missiology and who the church is supposed to be. Here's the first truth. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. Did you hear that? When God births a church... It's always about something bigger. You say, where do you see that in the text? Well, in verse 15, Paul opens and he says, you Philippians know in the beginning of the gospel. Now, when I read that phrase in the text, I didn't, hear any, I didn't see anybody in here get teary-eyed. A moment ago, as your pastor was telling the story of how this began, he got emotional for a minute. Why? Because he was thinking back on the early days. He was thinking back on when the gospel began here in what's called now Gospel Hope Church. When Paul uses that phrase, the beginning of the gospel, that's what he's doing. You need to understand, the, the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul is writing to a church that he'd planted 10 years earlier on his second missionary journey sent out of the church at Antioch. What we're reading about is the first church planted on the continent of Europe. The gospel birthed there in the Middle East, North Africa, Asia Minor. Then they sent missionaries out from there to Europe. Paul, this first missionary sent to Europe after hearing the Macedonian call, being sent by this church that was filled with elders in Antioch from the Middle East, North Africa, and Asia Minor, and the Mediterranean, sends them out to Europe. And Paul gets to this city called Philippi. And he does what you do to plant a church. Paul didn't go in and start a church service. Paul went into the city and began to engage the city with the gospel. And in engaging the city with the gospel, he goes to the riverbank one day and he meets a woman named Lydia. Paul shares the gospel with her. Lydia embraces the gospel. And Paul is begged by Lydia to come back to her home. And in her home, Paul shares the gospel with her whole household, which means everybody who lived there, the people that lived surrounding her, and all of them embrace the gospel. When Paul uses this phrase, the beginning of the gospel, that's what they're remembering. They're remembering those early days in Lydia's house when people were getting saved. And then Paul began to disciple them by going out into the streets. So how do you know that? Because as you read in Acts chapter 16, you can read this story. 
The Bible says for many days, as Paul is walking them through the streets sharing the gospel, one of those days, a demon-possessed slave girl starts to persecute them. She starts to heckle them. Paul turns around, casts the demon out of her. She embraces Christ. She begins to be discipled in Lydia's house, but it didn't make everybody happy. The city officials arrest Paul and Silas because people were making money off the demon-possessed girl. They throw Paul and Silas in jail, and you know the story. Acts chapter 16, they're in jail, middle of the night. The, the, the jail cells begin to shake. The doors swing open. The jailer comes in to kill himself. And what happens? They say, no, 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 we're all here. And what happens next? The jailer comes to faith in Christ. And, whole, and when Paul says the beginning of the gospel, this is what they're thinking about. They're thinking, hey, you remember that crazy night when Paul woke us all up after midnight and baptized the whole family? Boom, brand new church in Philippi. Upper crust, wealthy businesswoman named Lydia demon-possessed, slave-class girl, middle-class, blue-collar, working family, jailer and his family. You know what I love about that? I love the picture that when you start with a city, the gospel doesn't skip over cultures. You know the reason most churches in North America are homogenous? Because they start with church services instead of cities. When you start a church service, that's not planting a church. Starting a church service starts with a predisposed culture, philosophy, strategy. And when you start with a church service, you attract people that look like, walk like, smell like, talk like, think like, vote like you. When you start with a city, the gospel doesn't skip over cultures. The church where we're leading should be a reflection of the community as we engage that community with the gospel. That's exactly what happened here in Philippi. But listen, here's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, I know you're celebrating your 10th birthday as he's writing to them. You're on your sixth, they're on their 10th, and we have the temptation to go, we made it. I mean, look at us. We got a building. We got ministries. We're doing it. Look, we made it. And Paul says, no, here's what I want you to remember. The church being planted is not the finish line of the gospel. The church being planted is the beginning of the gospel. The church being born is not the end. The church being born is the beginning of what God desires to do in and through. Here's what that means. When God birthed your church, he had the nations on his heart. We heard about this guy who's planting down, down in, in Central America this morning on the video. Has it ever dawned on you that when God birthed your church, it wasn't just about Atlanta. It was just as much about that part of the world. And get this. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. You did not hear what I just said. Because if you'd have heard what I just said, if, there's a, if Jesus lives inside of you, you'd say something. So I'm going to give you another shot at it. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. And hear me, God birthed your church for such a time as this. Not so you could be the coolest church on the block. Not so you could have the best kids ministry. Not so you could have the best preaching or the best worship. God birthed your church to join in what he's doing, expanding his kingdom to the ends of the earth. 
God birthed your church for the mission. Number two, when God births a church, it's his invitation to get in on what he's doing. When God births a church, he invites us to join in his kingdom activity. You say, where do you see that in the text? We'll look back at verse 15. Paul says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. You probably know this. Your pastors have told you this. The New Testament was not originally written in English. The New Testament was written in the language of what's called Koine or common Greek. I love that it was not written in classical Greek. It was written in the language of the people, Koine Greek, common Greek. The Greek word for this phrase entered into partnership. If you know any Greek word in the Bible, you know this one. It's the Greek word koinonia. How many of you have heard that word before? Koinonia, yeah. Unfortunately, we think it means coffee pots, casseroles, donuts. Just about every good church in the South. I'm from the South. You find you a good church in the South, good old Tommy church in the South, they're going to have the Koinonia Sunday school class. Here's what you can always count on. They got the best food in that class. Amen. God may not have been there in a long time, but the food's going to be good. Amen. I mean, they, they got it going on in there. The word koinonia doesn't mean coffee pots and casserole. The word koinonia means to share in the life of another. It literally means to do life together. Here's what Paul is saying. The kingdom of God runs on the rails of relationships. And the way we join in God's activity is by joining in the lives and partnering in the lives of those that are joining in the mission of God locally and globally. This church saw in the apostle Paul the opportunity to share in the big mission of God by sharing in the life of the apostle Paul. Well, how'd they do that? Well, let me give you some examples. There are three right here in the text. There are more we could talk about, but the three in the text are what I'm going to give you today. Number one, every church should cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying. You see, this church at Philippi was a praying church. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying they were a church who prayed. They were a praying church. Like you did a moment ago. They knew they needed God. Some of the greatest verses in the Bible on prayer are right here in this letter. Paul talks about how they prayed for him and he prayed for them in this very letter. One of the ways you join in the activity of God is by praying. You see, God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. You say, explain that. I can't. God doesn't need us. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God in his sovereignty has ordained it that he's going to work in response to his people praying. Let me tell you my own story. I told you my wife and I, September 1999, hear God's voice. A church out of Woodstock, Georgia contacted us and said, hey, we want to plant a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. God said you're to be the, God's told us you're to be the pastor of that church. Two weeks earlier, we said yes. Two weeks later, God says Vegas. We moved to Atlanta first. We live here in the Atlanta area up north near Woodstock, and we were part of that church for almost almost a year and then they send us out to Las Vegas we get to Vegas we've literally been there one time on a visit to buy a house we get to Vegas we roll into the city we've been in the city less than two weeks and our telephone rings 
On the other end of the line is a lady named Letty Peralta. She's from the Philippines. She says, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell me. Now, I've since learned, be careful with that offer because there's some stories in Vegas you probably shouldn't hear. But here's what she said. She said, I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family that was very poor. She said, while living in Hong Kong, I met an American family. I moved in with them, became the caretaker of their home, and over a period of months, that family became like my second family. So much so that she said, after living with them for a long period of time, they relocated back to America. We got all the paperwork. I moved with them back to America as a part of their family. She said, we settled in a suburb north of Atlanta, Georgia, called Woodstock, Georgia. She said, we visited a church there called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. She said, I heard the gospel and I heard the the Great Commission like I'd never heard it before and it changed my life. But she said, then my family got relocated from Woodstock, Georgia to Las Vegas, Nevada. She said, we lived in Las Vegas for a year and a half. And here's what she said, honest before God today. She said, I've prayed every day for a year and a half that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Would you please tell me who sent you here? Now, two weeks earlier, we loaded everything we owned in a green Dodge minivan in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, drove 2,000 miles across the country, and none of us even knew Letty Peralta existed on planet Earth. As soon as we heard her story, here's what we knew. We didn't go to Las Vegas to start anything. We went to Las Vegas to get in on something God was doing long before we got there. We've been there 22 years. We've baptized almost 5,000 people in Las Vegas who've come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen, there's, there's, nothing, like, there's nothing like a church like this on Sunday morning packed with 1,800 seats full of first-generation believers. It's awesome. Nobody comes to church in Vegas because it's what you do on Sunday because it ain't what you do on Sunday. That means the person on the back row is on the back row because they got there last. That's it. That's all it means. Like they didn't get there and plan to sit back there so they could leave early. That's not what happened. They got there last, so they're in the back. 5,000 people. We, we've, I told you a minute ago, 80 churches planted out of our church. Over 400 people sent out of our fellowship. We work on four continents around. This year, Hope Church in Las Vegas will send 42 mission teams globally. We have 18 families in the pipeline with the International Mission Board to plant their lives overseas. And, and people call me at least once a month. The hottie at church panel will say, man, how does a white dude from Alabama go to Vegas, multi-ethnic church? How did you do it? And I'm not trying to be spiritual. I'm just trying to be honest. One lady from the Philippines asked God to do it and for 22 years we've been riding a wave of the favor of God's activity <laughs> 2000, 2014 15 she got married moved to Florida we almost moved with her like I thought the glory of God had departed like wherever she goes that's where I'm going every anniversary we bring her back just to make sure like come back and pray again You know what's sad in the church in America? I love what your church did this morning because what's happened in the church in America is we've relegated corporate prayer to moments of transition when we move the band on and off the stage. We don't pray to pray anymore. We just pray to change the set while nobody's looking. Oh, we'll spend hours doing music and preaching and teaching, but we'll take 30 seconds to pray while we can change everything up here while nobody's looking around. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to change stuff while we're praying. I'm just saying it's wrong to pray just to move stuff on stage. What happened to a church that was just so desperate for God? We just prayed because we needed God. I loved what your church, never lose that. 
When we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And when we don't, we don't. You can cultivate our, at our church in Las Vegas, we take eight to 10 minutes in every weekend service and we lead the church like you did, Ryan, in corporate prayer. And once a month or once a quarter at least, that's about the nations, it's about church planting, it's about what God's doing in our city. We want our church to get on their heart what's on the Father's heart, which is the cities and peoples of the earth. Not only can we cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying, secondly, every church should prioritize the kingdom by sending. Your pastors talked about this this morning. You say, where do you see that in this text? Look down at verse number 18. Paul writes and he says, I've received everything in full. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. Now that begs a question, what is Epaphroditus? Now here's what we think it is. We think it's something you take penicillin to get rid of, right? Like I had a bad case of Epaphroditus, but I'm good now. I had the vaccine. I'm good. Too soon? I'm sorry. Too soon? No, Epaphroditus is a real dude in the New Testament that you're going to meet in heaven, and he's going to say, do you like my story in the Bible? And you're going to say, oh, yeah, brother, it was great because you have no idea who he is, so I'm going to help you. He's a guy somebody in Philippi led to Jesus. I don't know who. Bible doesn't tell us. Lydia, slave girl. He may be a friend of the jailer. I don't know. Leads him to Christ, gets discipled in Lydia's house. One day they're taking up an offering to send it to Paul. And somebody said, we need somebody to take the offering. Anybody willing to go? Epaphroditus said, like I'm no preacher. I haven't been to seminary, but, but I can carry a bag of money with the best of them. Like I can do that. So how do you know that? Look at chapter 2, verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 25, Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. He'd be, you know who Epaphroditus is? He's the first recorded short-term mission team in the Bible. They sent him out from Philippi. He goes for, I don't know, six days, six weeks, six months. We don't know. And now he's coming back to Philippi to give a report. How do you know he came back? Where do you think we got the letter from? Paul writes the letter of Philippians as a thank you letter to the church at Philippi for their generous praying and sending and giving. Epaphroditus comes back to say, man, look what God is doing through Paul's ministry. And because we're partnered with Paul, look what God is doing through our fellowship. We're joining in God's activity by joining in the life of the apostle Paul. What if in the church in North America, we celebrated sending over seating? Here's how we measure success. How many do we have Sunday? How many people came? That's not a New Testament missiology. That's making the church the goal. The goal is not how many we kept. The goal is how many we sent. What if we unleashed the body of Christ? At our church in Las Vegas, in our membership process, I say this every time, or at least I did when I was, I, last year I passed the baton to the new pastor that we've raised up for 15 years, young guy that's been on my team since he was 20 years old. He's now pastoring. He's now my pastor. I still get to be a member of that fellowship, but he's leading. And here's what we say in our membership process. If you join Hope Church, we're going to do everything we can to talk you into leaving. And people chuckle and they laugh and they giggle, and then 400 of them have been sent out the doors to go join in God's activity. prioritize the kingdom by sending. Number three, every church should invest in the kingdom by giving. That's what this text is really all about. These people were giving. Paul talks about they gave sacrificially, they gave generously, they gave consistently, they gave abundantly. You can give. I love to say it this way. You don't give to a church. You give through a church as an investment in the kingdom of God being expanded in cities and nations all over the world. Churches are not reservoirs of resources. 
We're conduits by which God accomplishes his activity locally and globally in and through us as we live generously. That's what was happening here in Philippi. They gave. And then you get to the last, the last part of that, verse 19. Then Paul says, my God will supply all your needs. Here's what he's saying. If you're a church that prioritizes the kingdom by, by sending and you cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying and you invest in the kingdom by giving, Paul says, you seek first the kingdom. Here's what I'm telling you. He'll take care of everything else. You know why, you got, you know why God brought all this together and you got all this facility? You know why God did that? Because you seek first the kingdom. And when you seek first the kingdom, he said, I'll take care of everything else. You're literally sitting in tangible evidence of the goodness of God. Here's the principle Paul's saying. You cannot outgive God. Shouldn't surprise us. It's the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And what did he say? I'll take care of everything else. Right? Here's the last truth and I'm done. I said that when God births a church, it's always about something bigger. When God births a church, it's his invitation to get in on what he's doing. Number three, when God births a church, it's for his glory. I love that in verses 15 through 19, Paul said some great stuff about the Philippian church. But listen how he closed the paragraph. To our God and Father be the glory. Here's what he said. Hey, Philippians, you're a great church, (laughs) but it ain't about you. It's about the glory of God among the peoples and nations, cultures. Hey, Gospel Hope, you're a great church. God's been good to you. It's been a wonderful six-year journey. But it ain't about you. As a matter of fact, one day you're going to die. And the only thing left standing will be the degree to which you've leveraged this fellowship for the sake of the expansion of the kingdom in cities and nations all over the world. And I'm telling you, to the degree that you do that, you'll be able to look around the throne room on the day when Jesus is sitting there and people from every tribe and tongue and people, people you may never meet this side of eternity are going to be your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren because you sell it all for the sake of the expansion of the kingdom of God. Let's close this time praying together for just a moment. You got some prayer volunteers that are going to be available. If you need to pray with someone, you can do that. If you want to turn your seat into an altar, you can do that. If you want to pray up here at the altar, you can do that. But I just want to lead you for just a moment to close this time. You're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But then listen to the very next phrase. Your kingdom come. You see, Jesus was always about the kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I want you to begin to pray right there. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it kneeling. You can pray it standing. You can pray it seated, however you want to pray it. But I want you to have that prayer. God, would you let your kingdom come in and through Gospel Hope Church? Lord, would you let your kingdom come in and through local churches all over the Atlanta metro area? God, would you let the testimony 
of our city be that the kingdom of God is alive and at work in our city. God, would you so unleash your kingdom in our church and in our city that people from literally all over the world lean in to look and see what God is doing here. I don't know what your specific neighborhood is, where you live, apartment complex, community, but I want you to pray that prayer for your specific community, your apartment complex, your street, your corner. God, would your kingdom come and your will be done on my street as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come, your will be done in my neighborhood as it is in heaven. Lord, we bless you. We thank you that your word says when we ask according to your will, we don't have to wonder. We know we have what we ask for. God, today we ask exactly what you told us to ask for. And so in faith, we believe you're going to do that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.